0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for the January 2011 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined by Heather Brown from TLN to discuss some of the January highlights. Welcome Heather. Let's start with the research article and this concerns Huntington's disease in relation to the TRACK hd study. Before we go into details of the study, can you just outline the TRACK hd program for us?
1: Yes, TRACK hd is an international longitudinal study that aims to characterise early and pre-disease stages of Huntington's disease. The investigators, who are led by Sarah Tabrizi, are from Canada, France, Netherlands and the UK, and they're prospectively following up more than 100 people with early Huntington's disease, about the same number of pre-manifest individuals, so that's people without symptoms, but who carry a mutation in their Huntington gene that means they will eventually develop the disease and then also a group of more than 100 healthy controls, who are mostly spouses and siblings of people who have the mutation, but they don't have it themselves.
0: And Heather, what specifically is this study concerned with? What part of the TRAC-HD study is being looked at here?
1: Well, the investigators have used more than 30 different assessments to follow up participants, and these include cognitive motor, oculomotor, and neuropsychiatric assessments, and brain imaging with three Tesla MRI. Baseline data for these measures were reported in the Lancet Neurology in 2009, and this paper now gives the one-year data, showing how these factors have changed over time in the three different groups.
0: Thanks, and tell us about the main results from the study.
1: Participants who had early Huntington's disease, or pre-manifest disease, had higher rates of brain atrophy than the controls, both for the whole brain and specifically for the chordate and putamen. And rates of change were also greater in the groups with the disease mutation for some of the cognitive and motor tests.
0: And what do you think are the main implications from this to influence future research or do you think there are clinical take-home messages already from this study?
1: Well the study is particularly important for future trials. The pre-manifest period is when disease modifying therapies would ideally be used and knowing how the disease usually progresses at this stage is vital if we're to be able to test whether new drugs are having an effect on progression. So, for example, knowing the differences in progression rates over a year gives us an idea of how long clinical trials might need to be and how many people might need to be recruited. The findings are also important in showing what assessments will be most meaningful in clinical trials. For example, disease progression was most evident in brain imaging measures and was also seen in measures of motor function and cognition. But in this study there weren't significant changes in neuropsychiatric function and quality of life suggesting that more sensitive measures or longer trials would be needed to detect changes in these factors. The study also has implications for understanding HD more generally, not just in the context of clinical trials, because it shows that people who have the disease mutation can have a greater rate of brain loss and impaired function compared with control people, even before they have classic symptoms.
0: And Heather, tell us about the thoughts of the author of the linked comment to this research article.
1: In his comment, Justo Garcia de discusses in more detail how these one-year findings of Track hd might influence future trial design. And he suggests that the findings in the pre-manifest group might also remove an ethical barrier to inclusion of these people in clinical trials, because they're not as symptom-free as previously thought.
0: Next, Heather, another research article, and this is concerned with dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome. Tell us for context, Heather, why it is important to understand this syndrome within the context of neurology.
1: This is an article by Manju Kurian, Yan Lee and colleagues describing a childhood Parkinsonian disorder they call hereditary dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome. The investigators linked this syndrome to loss of function mutations in the SLC6A3 gene, which encodes the dopamine transporter, in three patients in 2009. And here, they report more detailed clinical and molecular characterization in these three patients, as well as in another eight.
0: Thanks, and could you just um, briefly summarise the methods and key results? It looks like the point of the study from the results are that it's characterising the disease, is that right?
1: Yes, this study provides important new details about the syndrome. The investigators looked at a range of clinical features, brain imaging and cerebrospinal fluid biomarkers. They also characterised mutations in SLC603 by sequencing and by expression of mutant versions of the dopamine transporter in cells in vitro to better understand how the mutations affect transporter function. Some of the features varied between the children, but all had a movement disorder that began in early infancy, and all either presented with or later developed dystonia, Parkinsonian features and gastrointestinal complications. All of the children had a raised ratio of homovanillic acid to 5-hydroxyindole acetic acid in their cerebral spinal fluid, which indicates an unusually high level of dopamine breakdown products. And all of the children had SLC603 mutations, And when these were missense mutations, there was a resulting loss of dopamine transporter function in vitro. The investigators also did nuclear brain imaging to look at expression of the dopamine transporter in one of the patients and found that transporter activity was absent from basal nuclei.
0: So what do you think the implications are, Heather, from this observational study, either for future research or clinical decision making, do you think?
1: The study provides much more information on hereditary dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome than we had before. And the paper includes a couple of guides to differential diagnosis that should be helpful in distinguishing this syndrome from similar ones. As the authors point out, hereditary dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome is probably currently underdiagnosed. And in fact, seven of the 11 children in the study were initially diagnosed as having cerebral palsy.
0: And tell us about the linked comment, Heather.
1: In his comment, Craig Blackstone summarises some key features of the syndrome. And he discusses how, even though hereditary dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome is likely to remain rare... Better understanding of it is also likely to have implications for other disorders that involve dopamine transporters, such as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and addiction.
0: Thanks very much, Heather. And also in this month's issue, you've got a roundup of the year, haven't you? You want to tell us about Roundup the Roundup?
1: <laughs> yes, we have ten Roundup comment articles in the issue, covering ten key areas of neurology. Experts in each field have been asked to comment on what they think are the most important developments during 2010 and together the articles provide an interesting overview of important developments during the past year.
0: Excellent. Many thanks indeed, Heather. Those are some of the highlights from the January 2011 issue of Lancet Neurology. We'll see you next month.